Let me uh, again welcome you here to Big Valley Grace, uh, especially those of you that are visiting, as I said, and welcome to all of you over in the venue. I sure appreciate all of you that serve over there. If you're watching online, listening on the radio or whatever, just glad that you're with us. Um, hey, Pastor Joel's right. You know, last week he had this sling on, and the sling is like this big neon sign that says, you know, arm is hurt, arm is broken. Well... He didn't have it on. And so I walked up to him and went, hey man, boom. And went, oh yeah, your arm's broke. Hey, get out there, come on, gotta go do your thing, man. (laughs) Oh man. All right, you got your Bible, hold them up, hold them up. Let me see them, got your Bible over in the venue, hold up your Bible, okay? Watch it online, hold it up. Come on, come on, come on, all right. Here's the deal. We're a church that believes in the Bible the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible. Okay, I did a whole series on that. In fact, I entitled it that. But if you believe in the Bible, the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible, you also have to believe in the gospel, the whole gospel, and nothing but the gospel. They, they go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. The, the Bible is all about Jesus, and the gospel is Jesus. The good news is Jesus. So, so you can't separate those two things. If you're here and you don't own a Bible, you can go into the altar room when we're done. Over in the venue, we got an altar room and we'd love to put one in your hands. Uh, if you're watching online or listening on the radio, just come down to the church uh, on Monday or whatever and uh, we'd love to put a Bible in your hands. Because as I said, everything we do revolves around this book. Everything. All the songs that we sing are rooted in the scriptures. Right now in all of our children's ministries, adult ministries, all we're doing is talking about the scriptures, which means we're talking about the gospel, which means we're talking about Jesus because he is the gospel. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter one and verse one. He said, this, is, this letter is from Paul And then Paul says, uh, gives us a little bit of data about himself. He says, I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. I was chosen by God to be an apostle, and I was sent out to preach his, God's good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, you take all those books in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, they all talked about the gospel. They all talked about Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior is going to come. And then he says in verse 3, the good news or the gospel is about his son. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He's the one who died on a cross for our sins. Jesus is the one who rose from the grave. He conquered death and Sin. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is the one who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. It's Jesus who takes away our sin. Jesus is the one who makes us righteous. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. And last week I spent the entire time talking about the power of the gospel, the, the power of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, that it can literally change your eternal destiny. That at the moment you give your life to Christ, at the moment you give your life to Jesus, no longer are you going to spend your eternity in a place that was designed for the devil and the demons, but immediately the power of Jesus in your life changes all of that. 
and you will now spend your eternity with him forever in heaven. This was last week, though. Today, things change. For the next uh, few chapters, Paul's going to lay out for us the, the problem that we all face or the dilemma that we all face. In fact, take your notes and you'll see that we've laid this out in such a way that it says part one. You see that? Part one. And then we put the problem. Romans 1 through about Romans 3, 23, 24 is all about the problem. It's all about the dilemma that we all face. The first three chapters of Romans are very, very dark chapters. In fact, they're gonna get really, really dark starting today and especially next weekend, Lord willing. But if you're a church that preaches the Bible, the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible, you believe in the Bible, the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible, you, you don't have a choice but to talk about Romans 1, 2, and 3. As dark as they are, as, as, as just um, weighty as they are, for many of you, you you'll, you'll be offended I know that because in the world we live in now, you don't have to go home and write a letter, put a stamp on it, mail it to me, and I get it in three or four days. I'll get it before you leave here today. That happened last night. I understand how dark these chapters are. I get it. But I, as somebody who... Um, I'm a, a pillar in the support of the truth. I don't have a choice. I don't get to pick all the verses that I like. I believe in it all. And so Paul is going to start to lay out just how messed up and doomed we all are because of sin. Paul is gonna make it crystal clear why we need Jesus in our lives, why we need the gospel, why we need the righteousness of, of Jesus in our lives. And so the next three chapters, as I said, are gonna be pretty, pretty, pretty dark. But before we get into today's message, I want us to take a look at this week's uh, Not Ashamed video. When I was a little girl, I won at the Hollywood Bowl, the Miss Tiny Top America contest. And as a result, the acting bug was planted in me and it stayed with me my whole life. Around that same time, I was attending a Christian preschool and imagine my parents' surprise when I came home and proudly said that I had learned that people came from monkeys. Well, my dad sensed a great opportunity and he said that in fact, God had created man and woman, and he intentionally shared the gospel of Christ with me. I continued to love acting. I started doing community plays when I was in high school and pursued that as uh, my goal in college, and I got my bachelor's degree. And last summer, I received an email from a friend who I really respect and admire, and would I be willing to audition for an iconic American play called Inherit the Wind? I knew it was about the Scopes Monkey trial, um, about teaching evolution. 
ironically, um, in public schools. Um, so I said, you know what, uh, let me read it. Within the first few pages, I literally felt sick to my stomach. I started to cry. And it didn't have anything to do with the subject. It was the fact that every Christian character in this play was unkind, unthinking, intolerant, just downright mean. I knew I had to say no. I wanted to just call him and say, no, thank you, I'm not interested. But I really felt God speaking to me that I needed to explain why. And I was so nervous. Because even though I knew my friend respected me, there was still this fear that I had because the theater community in this area is really small. So if what I said was thought of as being kind of crazy, there was a chance that other people were gonna find out about that as well. I was afraid that this would affect future opportunities that I have in the area to perform. I knew that I had a decision to make and I decided to meet with him. So I laid out all my concerns. I could honestly say, I don't know anybody like the people in this play. The Christians that I know aren't like this. I also accept the book of Genesis, as crazy as that might sound to some people. Jesus refers to Adam and Eve, and he refers to the flood of Noah. He could tell that it really had affected me a lot, and I could tell by the look on his face that this was a new perspective for him, and he thanked me. But what was really significant to me he said that three people had called him who said, I'm a Christian, I can't do this play. But I was the only person that had taken the time to meet with him and explain why. I had no reason to be afraid. That little voice in my head that said, what are people gonna think of you? You're gonna lose opportunities. It was a lie. And not only was he grateful, but we've worked together on projects since then. I've been asked to direct a play for him, and I even get to share what my ideas are for future plays. I don't know what your opportunity is. You might be facing a similar situation. You might be that person's only opportunity to hear the gospel. My name is Robin Birke. I'm an actor, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Robin and her family were sitting down there last night. Her daughter is uh, uh, Rebecca, who was up here singing and been a great family in our church. One of the things I'm appreciating about these videos, and they're all great like that, it's unbelievable the, the quality of these videos, is I'm getting to know uh, some of our people in a whole nother way. And here's the deal, we're, we're gonna be in this series for probably a good year and a half. And so that's a lot of videos. We're gonna do one every week. And it could be that you've got a story, a story of somebody who came to you who wasn't ashamed of the gospel and they shared Jesus with you. It might be a story of when you weren't ashamed of the gospel and you shared it with somebody else. It, it could be a moment like we saw last week with Gordon's where he, he was ashamed. And if you have a story, all you have to do is just uh, uh, email Chad Pippen here, that's Chad P at bvg.org, and say, hey, uh, Pastor Chad, I've got a story that you might, might be interested in. And uh, you know, we'll help you tease it out and put it together and, 
And uh, we'll get to, you know, let your story be a motivator to, to all of us. And so please take advantage of it. We're gonna, we, we need quite a, quite a few of these, of these stories. Well, here we go. Let's get into today's message. Let's read our text for today. It's Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men, women, people are without an excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. Birds and animals and reptiles. And we'll stop there. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going I'm to make two observations about the wrath of God, just two. I'm gonna bore down on, on just two things that Paul talks about here. And the first one is this. At this very moment, as I'm speaking right now, this very moment, God is angry. Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed. It's in the present tense. In other words, it's happening right now. I think a lot of people think that the wrath of God is something that comes at some future date. But the Bible clearly teaches that God is angry right now. That his wrath is being poured out now. Now, obviously, in the future, the wrath of God is going to look different than it does now. But make no mistake about it. God is angry right now. By the way, you, you see the wrath of God being poured out on people throughout the entire Bible. You get to Genesis chapter three, and Adam and Eve blow God off, and they sin, and you see the wrath of God being poured out on their lives right there. God says, you will die. Now, they didn't die at that moment, but they're dead. And guess what? So is your fate. You're all going to die because of sin. That's part of the wrath of God is that we die. God's wrath showed up in a worldwide flood where everybody died but eight souls. The wrath of God showed up in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The wrath of God showed up in the drowning of Pharaoh's army. The wrath of God showed up in the stoning of Achan and his family after they chose to disobey God 
God's instructions at Jericho. God's wrath showed up at the temple one day when Jesus turned over the money changers table. You see the wrath of God literally in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Malachi. You get to the New Testament, you see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the way to the book of Revelation. It's there. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Pastor Rick, if God's wrath is happening right now, why do so many sinful, evil, ungodly people seem to be prospering, right? I mean, the wicked seem to be getting, you know, away with everything, right? Well, I wish I had time to unpack this a little more, but I don't. But I do want to give you at least a short answer. I want to give you something that you can kind of hang on to from God's word, okay, Christian? In Psalms 37, God gives us some information that speaks to that question. He says this. He says, don't worry about the wicked, the sinful, or envy those who do wrong. Don't, don't do that, Christian. Yes, they may own the buildings that you rent. Yes, they, they, they seem to be prospering. Yes, you know, you know people that are wicked that are running their businesses in evil ways and sinful ways and they're prospering and you're trying to run your business in a God-honoring way and you're just struggling. Look, don't, don't worry about them. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. He's given us some, some imagery here. He's telling us about the wrath of God that will come. And we all get the whole grass thing, right? I mean, since we have to be careful how much we water, we've all seen our beautiful grass, right? It was beautiful, but it's dead now. I, I, I love to garden. And there are times when I will plant and have these beautiful Gerber daisies and things, and they're just unbelievable. And then literally I'll wake up the next day and go out and they're just dead. There comes a moment when they die. And God's telling us something here about the wicked. He goes on and says, don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Look, God's saying, I know you can get all worked up about it, but what good does that do? You lose sleep, you buy Tums, you make your spouse mad, you, you make your home all goofed up. Look, just Follow me, he says. Just follow me. He says in verse 10, soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the godly. They snarl at them in defiance. But the Lord just laughs for he sees their day of judgment is coming. Now, now you may not see it, but God sees it. He sees it. Proverbs 23 says, don't let your heart envy sinners. Uh, yes, they, they seem to be getting away with all kinds of stuff. 
Their bank accounts seem to be bigger than ours, right? Hey, relax. Just always be zealous for the things of the Lord. Keep your focus there. God's gonna take care of business someday. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but it's coming, God promises. Now, I've made an interesting observation about some of our modern day evangelistic approaches, okay? We love to talk to unbelievers about God's love, right? I mean, who doesn't like to talk about God's love? And by the way, you see God's love literally in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through the Bible. God, God is a God of love. No one likes to talk about God's love more than I do. I go to a men's conference, a men's camp. I, I'm speaking at a church. The number one subject I love talking about is God's love. You find it all throughout the scriptures, but it seems like most of our evangelistic approaches kind of go there and stay there to some degree. We love to talk to unbelievers about God's mercy and God's compassion. We love to tell unbelievers about the abundant life that there is in Christ. We, we love to talk about the forgiveness that there is in Christ, and all these things are true, without a doubt. But it seems to me that the church works really hard not to talk about the wrath of God. I mean, after all, it, it might hurt someone's feelings. It might turn somebody off. I, that's already happened with some of you. you, you you've, you you've just turned me off. You're, you're angry, you're mean. Um, you know, God's a God of love. Why are you talking about all that wrath stuff? I get it. I'd much rather sit in my office and study about the love of God That's a way more joyful time for me. But I believe in the Bible and the whole Bible, not just the real fun parts or the happy parts. I believe in it all. And there comes a moment like this when when you got to talk about something hard, something that's not fun. Nobody likes to hear about the wrath of God. Think about it. When was the last time you started to share Christ with someone and you began with, did you know that God is angry right now? <laughs> Your friend gets up from the table, you know, and okay. Well, thank the Lord for caller ID. I'll be, I'll be watching that from now on. Kind of a thing. I was thinking about all the great worship songs that are being written today, even in years gone by, and just think most of them are just really, really great and wonderful. But for the life of me, I I couldn't think of one that dealt with the wrath of God. God's wrath is coming, and he's really angry. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I couldn't think of any. Now, I'm sure there probably is one out there, but I I, I couldn't think of one where we all get together and let's sing about the wrath of God to everybody. I, I, I couldn't think of any. <laughs> Hard thing to sing about. But like I said earlier, it's found throughout the entire Bible. The great prophet Isaiah said this, he said, see the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce angry to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. 
Now, obviously, Isaiah had never read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's not, that's not how you might want to really start a friendship off with, with that thing. I remember uh, one time years ago, I was speaking at Hume Lake to a bunch of teenagers, and my topic was the wrath of God. And after my message was over, this young youth pastor came up to me and said that he needed to talk with me. And what happens at Hume is you will speak, and then kids are dismissed in a discipline of silence, and all of the Hume staff stays, and the youth pastors and the staffs will stay, the lay people will stay. And any kids who want to you know, work something out in their life, maybe they want to repent of sin, maybe they want to be baptized, maybe they want to give their life to Christ, Christ they, they stay. And so what had happened was, the thing was over, kids had left, and this youth pastor came up, grabbed me, and we are now over in the corner. And he said, I want you to know your message really offended me. And it really offended a number of my volunteer staff. You see, we brought a, a number of unsaved kids up here to camp, and we spent a lot of time telling them about the love of God, and that all came crashing down tonight. And as he was still talking to me, these two young boys from his ministry came over to me and they said, hey, can we talk with you? And that was just like, yeah, anything talking to this guy, you know. <laughs> so I excused myself and I went and sat down with these two boys and they proceeded to tell me that they'd never heard about the wrath of God and that they wanted to accept Christ into their lives for the salvation of their souls. Well, seeing this as an opportunity to teach this young youth pastor a valuable lesson, I said to these two young kids, would you please do me a favor? Would you go over to your youth pastor and tell him what you just told me and give him the honor of praying with you because he loves you a bunch. He's invested a lot of time and energy into your life. That's why he brought you up here to camp, to which these two boys said yes. And I walked out of the chapel that night knowing that there were two new brothers in the kingdom. And on top of that, there was one young youth pastor that had learned a, a valuable lesson. I think a lot of people are like that youth pastor. All they want is a steady diet of love. That's all they want. And the enemy has made sure that there are churches out there that will give you a steady diet of love, 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 love. God is love, 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 love. After all, they'll say, Jesus was nothing but love, right? Well, let's listen to what Jesus said. These are the words of Jesus. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Why is that? For God's wrath remains on him. God's wrath doesn't show up someday. It's on him now, and it will remain on him. Oh. Are you sure Jesus said that? I'm, I'm positive. It's written in red. Look at your Bible. He's the one who said it. He so loved people that he wanted them to know one of the most important truths that anybody could know, that God is angry. 
that God's wrath is being poured out upon people's lives. It's not some future date, it's happening right now. Things aren't okay with those that have no relationship with Jesus. This is serious business. The church is about some very weighty, serious things. By the way, if a person doesn't know that there's bad news, that God's angry, why do they need the good news? If a person doesn't know they're lost, if a person doesn't know that God's ticked off with them, why do they need a savior? I remember when I was growing up, I would go to church and you know, they would sing that great hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I used to go, wretch, what are you talking about? You may all be wretches, but I, don't call me one, who are you? I once was lost, but now I'm found. And I used to go, what are you talking about? And this is back before GPS systems. I, I know where I'm at. You may be lost, that's weird. Don't you know where you're at? Because I didn't understand. I didn't understand the, the, the dark side of life. I didn't understand a part of the truth of life. Now I do. I understand. I, I, I was a wretch, no doubt about it. I understand I was lost. I, I understand when the wrath of God is upon your life, you're lost. It ain't a good thing. I get it now. Now, why is God ticked off at people? Why is he angry? Well, this brings me to the second point, okay? And that is this. The reason God is angry is because of godlessness and wickedness. That's why he's angry. He's angry right now, and the reason why he's angry is because of godlessness and wickedness. Now, it's important that you understand the definition of these two words, godlessness and wickedness. Godlessness means living as if God doesn't exist. And that's the, my, my easiest, simplest definition of it. I want you to get it. Godlessness means you're living your life as if God doesn't exist. And let me tell you something. God doesn't like it when you live as if he doesn't exist. Mom, Dad, do you like it when your kids live as if you don't exist? Like, oh, who are you, you don't like that, do you? God doesn't like it. And by the way, this doesn't necessarily mean atheism. It doesn't mean that you don't believe in God. Many people believe in God. They just choose to live as if he doesn't exist. <laughs> they don't live with God in mind. They don't try to honor God with their lives. They don't revere God. God means little or nothing to them. And let me just tell you something, folks. This makes God angry. By the way, this is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? In Genesis chapter three. They obviously knew there was a God. I mean, God was their small group leader. They had actually had a Bible study with God. They actually knew God. And God said, hey, I don't want you to eat from that tree. Don't eat. And what'd they do? 
They chose to live as if he didn't exist. Who cares what God just said? And was God angry? Yeah! The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is, is death. It brought death. That's how much God doesn't like it when you choose to live as if he doesn't exist. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, hey, Pastor Rick, I get it. Adam and Eve blew it. How they did that, I don't know. They obviously knew there had to have been a God. They saw God. They talked to God. Man, I, uh, man, I can understand God being upset. They absolutely knew that there was a God. Well, it's no different for you. Paul said this in verse 19. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And now he says this, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without an excuse. You're right, Adam and Eve had no excuse. Either do you. Because God has made himself known. In fact, Paul makes two claims here in these two verses. Number one, God has made it impossible for you to miss him. You can't miss the fact that there is a God. It's like Adam and Eve. God's existence is unmistakable. It's plain to see. You can't miss it. All you have to do is walk out of your house tonight, okay? So it's night. You walk outside and do this. That right there tells you, whoa, there's got to be a God. Listen to what Psalms 19 says. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the earth. All you have to do is go outside and look at the stars, and the stars tell you that there has to be a God. Now, the stars don't tell you about the love of God. The stars in the heavens don't tell you about the mercy of God or the compassion of God. They don't tell you about the wrath of God. The moon and the stars can't tell you that God is angry. But what they do say is there has to be a God. This past week, I had taken this medical journal and opened it up, and I was just looking at the eyeball. <laughs> and all the, 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 the things that come off of the eyeball and how the eyeball works, just the eyeball. Forget about your kidney or your spleen or your pancreas. Forget about your spinal column, your brain, your ears, your nose. Forget about all that. It was just looking at the eyeball, going, man, two billion years ago, a couple of molecules got together. 
<laughs> I'm not making fun of anybody in here. I used to believe that. I used to believe that a billion years ago, two molecules got together, and here we are. Here's, here's what you gotta wrestle around with. So you get down to those two molecules, where did they come from? You see, finally you get down to where we agree that there was a moment when there was nothing. And then, there was something! <laughs> and I used to believe that there was a moment when there was nothing. And then there was something! And not only was there something, but now we got an eyeball! <laughs> and a porcupine, and a whale, and a cockroach, and a eagle, and a whale and a Gerber daisy <laughs> and the stars. There was nothing, and then there's all of that. It was a magical moment <laughs> when something came from nothing. Magical, mystical, fantastic. Huh? The word of God is crystal clear. Adam and Eve had no excuse, none, and neither do we. God has made himself known. You can't miss him. In fact, many of you remember John Glenn. He was an astronaut. In 1962, he piloted the Mercury Atlas 6 spacecraft, which was better known as Friendship 7, which circled the globe three times, and he said this, quote, to look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God is, is to me impossible. Now, I don't know if it led him to the one true living God. I don't know that. But what I do know, he was able to look out the window and go, whoa, 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 whoa. There's gotta be a God. Has to be. Tertullian, who was an early church leader, said this, quote, it's not the pen of Moses that initiated the knowledge of the creator. The vast majority of mankind, though they never heard the name Moses, to say nothing of his book, know the God of Moses nonetheless. In other words, yes, Moses is the one who penned Genesis in the beginning. It was God. God created. People know there's a God not because he wrote Genesis. They know that there's a God because they can just look and see. All Moses did was come along and begin to tell us about the God who created it all. He began to give texture to who this God was that we worship. In Psalms chapter 14, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And the reason why the fool says that there is no God, even though it's crystal clear that there is a God, is because he doesn't want there to be a God. Because if there is a God, he knows he's in trouble. And if he can't convince himself that there's no God, he'll just make one up, one that'll tolerate his sin, one that's okay with his sin. You see, here's how it works. Let's just follow this. 
We all live here in or Modesto or the surrounding areas, and so we have local governments, we, we've got county governments, we've got a state government, and we have the federal government. And, and we all uh, kind of know their role in our lives. And one of the things that our state, or our, let's just say our city government does, is they came along and they said, all right, here's the deal. If you're going to drive down Tully Road, you can only do 30 miles an hour. And they put a sign up, and it's a, it's a law. It's a rule we have to obey. If we don't, we know we get in trouble. Uh, they came along and said, you know what, let's put a stop sign right here. And so there's a sign, and it's a law. It's a rule. We know because this governing authority said, stop, and we blow it off, and we choose not to stop. Trouble waits for us, right? We, we just know that instinctively. We're supposed to obey the laws, and if we don't, there's trouble. Our insurance rates go up, uh, we've got to pay a fine. <laughs> if you get to the point where you go, I'm acknowledging that there's a God, but you choose to live as if there isn't one, you know there's trouble. Because he has laws too. He's got a few thoughts about life. And so what happens is you go, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't even want to think about that. And if you can't get the fact that, you know, this is the one true living God out of your mind, then I'm just going to make up a God and I'll make sure that the God that I make up is okay with my, my sinful lifestyle. Whew. Whew. Yeah, you have your God, Christian. That's good for you. I got mine. I got mine. Mine's okay with however I choose to live. Whew, and that works for a little while. So the first thing that Paul says is God's existence is unmistakable. And the second thing he says is this, and they kind of go hand in hand, and that is God's existence is undeniable. Verse 20 really zeroes in on this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So men, women, people have no excuse. There's no excuse. None. Zero. When an unbeliever takes their last breath here on planet Earth, in other words, they die, they're never going to be able to stand before God and say, hey man, I, I didn't know. I had no idea there was a God. I just thought there was a time when there was nothing and then bam, there was something. And then there was an eyeball and there's me. That's what I thought. No, 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 no. You could look up and see that there was a God you at least had that much knowledge. And here in America, God has churches all over the place. You could go and find out about that God if you really wanted to. There are radio stations where people are preaching the word all the time, TV stations that preach the word all the time. You had neighbors and friends. If you wanted to know more about the God who created all, you got no excuse, none, zero, zilch. But Paul also says that God's wrath is being poured out on wickedness. 
And wickedness is different than godliness. Wickedness means that you're living without any rules, okay? In other words, you do your own thing. You make up your own rules of life. What God has to say through his word doesn't mean anything to you. Nobody judges you but you. Okay, this is basically the biblical definition of wickedness. And by the way, godlessness always comes before wickedness. In other words, godlessness is the root, wickedness is the fruit. When you say, you know what, I'm gonna live as if there's no God, it's gonna show up in your lifestyle. Does that make sense? And so Paul says that God's wrath is being poured out on godlessness, those who just deny God, I don't believe in God, and wickedness, the actual fruit of a lifestyle like that. When a person makes the choice, and it is a choice, to live their life like there's no God, I, I guarantee it'll show up in their lifestyles. But, but how does all this happen? How does a person you know, get to the point where they just go, I'm not believing in God, and I'm gonna live my life however I want to, to live it. I, I, I'm just gonna deny that there is a creator. Well, Paul gives us basically three steps, and I'll run through these very quickly. Step number one, it begins with suppression. People suppress the truth about God. In verse 18, Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth, the truth that's out there about God, that they're just suppressing it. I don't want to deal with it. They try to ignore the truth or they try to bury the truth or they, they keep themselves so busy with work or hobbies or life in general that they don't have to think about the truth or I'll just get drunk all the time. I'll, I'll just, you know, get high all the time. I'll take narcotics. I'll, I'll get into porn. Anything, anything to think about the fact that there's a God. I don't want to do it. So people just do things to suppress the truth about this loving God. I don't, I don't want to think about him. I want to do it. The desire to live without any constraints is, 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 is just powerful. It's so powerful that people will just go to an unbelievable lengths to suppress the truth. Your, your flesh wants to live the way it wants to live. Just want to think about a God. And it is a powerful force, see? If you suppress the truth long enough, you'll eventually get to step two. And step two is rejection. You suppress, you suppress, you suppress, and then you get to the point where you just start to reject it. You just reject the truth. Verse 21, for although they knew God, he made himself, you can't miss him, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Now there's a couple of ways that people reject God. Number one, people reject God by refusing to give him glory. And beloved, this is what evolution is all about. It's an attempt to take away the glory that belongs to God. He created it. All glory ought to be to him. But the world comes along and says, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to reject this thing so, um, I know, two molecules will get together. And then uh, 
Then there was noshish nishishness. And then something <laughs> poked his head up and now we got an eyeball. Here we are. See, evolution robs God of his glory and puts the glory on something coming from nothing. Number two, people reject God by refusing to give him thanks. Let me ask you a question. Does it hurt you when you do something for somebody and they're not grateful for it? Mom, dad, don't you hate it when you do something really nice for your kids and they just don't even thank you for it? It's like, it's like uh, what happened there, man? That was weird. It makes you mad. Imagine must what, what must run through God's mind. I've created everything and people are just so ungrateful. The common grace of God is keeping your heart beating right now. You thankful for that? Yes. <laughs> you know, there are people dying right now in our town. Their hearts, for whatever reason, today was a the day. They're done. Yours is still going. The common grace of God is keeping you breathing right now. Aren't you thankful we're not floating around that God has kept the gravitational pull going? You thankful for that? See, it's one of the reasons why believers thank God for their food. Because we recognize that it's all God, that God is the one who's given us the ability to make money, do the jobs we have. I never remember a moment in my life where I didn't have food. I can remember a, a lot of years where I never thanked God for it. I worked! I, I did work, I got the money. I'm not giving him thanks for it, it's all me. Because I didn't understand. I was ignorant, I was a fool. Today I understand that all that I have comes from him. So you put a pile of food on my you know, plate. Oh God, thank you. Just thankful for this, God. Because you don't have to go to Zimbabwe to find starving people, they're right here in our own town. Dr. MacArthur said, to reject God is to reject the greatest reality in the universe, the reality which gives the uh, only true meaning and purpose and understanding to everything else. And I'll add to that, to reject God brings doom. It brings with it the wrath of God. So step one, people suppress the truth about God, which leads them to step two, people reject the truth about God, and, and then you naturally get to this last one, which is basically replacement. People then replace the truth about God. First, you work really hard to suppress it. Then you say, I don't believe in it. And then you just replace it with something else. You make up your own gods. Make up other kinds of good news, if you will. When you replace God with something else, it's called idolatry. The first two of the great 10 commandments were number one, don't have any other gods before me. And number two, don't make for yourself an idol and worship some idol. Jesus kind of echoed that in the New Testament where he said, the greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It, it trumps your love for everything else. You're, you're to love him more than you love your spouse. You're to love him more than you love your kids. You're to love God more than you love anything else. And that's not to say you're not supposed to love your wife. It's not to say you're not supposed to love your kids. You're just supposed to love God above all else. He's to be the thing you look at and you worship. God, he's the one who created you. And yet we live in a time when, boy, we have all these other gods we worship. Now, obviously, when Paul wrote this, they would whittle out an image and they would bow down to these dumb little images. We don't do that in America. Our images are way different. Things like, things that we worship are things like wealth and success, physical body, pleasure, fame, athletes, movie stars, musicians, Christian authors, Christian musicians, talk show hosts. Our idols aren't made of wood and stone. Our idols are made of you know, metal and plastic, houses, cars. Um, I'm always amazed that in our culture, a guy who holds a piece of wood, he holds wood in his hands. He got wood in his hands. And he hits a ball. Okay, he's got wood in his hands and he hits a ball. We'll pay that person hundreds of millions of dollars. Stand in line to get his autograph. Like, you're so good at taking that piece of wood and hitting that ball, would you? I mean, you're really good at hitting a, a ball with a piece of wood. <laughs> you, you, you can throw a ball like really fast. Can I get your autograph? And then many of you are teachers. Unbelievable profession. And compared to an athlete, we give you nothing. When was the last time somebody came up and asked you for your autograph? When was the last time somebody stood in line to just go, man, you're, you're unbelievable, man. And you're a teacher. Those people are so worshiped that even Christians will say, I'm not going to go worship God today. I'm going to go watch that guy hit a ball because he's really good at it. I mean, God loves me anyway. You look at it, right? Well, you can just see how the love of God, which is supposed to be the primary love, can get squeezed out by other things so easily. Well, as I wrap this up, here, here's the deal. One of two things is true about your life. Number one, you've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, which means he took the wrath of God upon himself for your sin and rebellion. When he hung on the cross, he took your, the wrath that was upon your life. He did that. The moment you received Christ into your life, that wrath of God that was upon you because of your godlessness and wickedness was all taken upon Jesus. That's why we sing about Jesus and pray to Jesus and give gifts to Jesus and preach Jesus. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Or number two, 
You've rejected Jesus Christ. You've never invited him into your life. You, you've lived your life apart from God. You, you lived your life according to your own rules. You're the CEO of your own life kind of a thing, which means the wrath of God is still upon you. This book wasn't written to trick anybody. I just boiled the whole thing down in two sentences. Jesus Christ took the full fury of God's wrath when he hung on that cross 2,000 years ago. And if you'd surrender your life over to him, if you'd humble yourself before him, accept him, the wrath of God will no longer be upon your life. And here's what you can do in the altar room. You can go in there. Our elders, pastors will be in there over in the venue. You can go into the altar room there and walk in and say, hey, I need Christ. I, I, I need him. I understand this. I've lived a godless life. I've lived a wicked life, a sinful life. The wrath of God is on my life. Help me. All of us have been there. Greatest decision you'll ever make. Okay, everybody stand up in here. Everybody stand up over in the venue. Father, thank you, Lord, for a chance to come together and just be in your presence in a special way. You live in the hearts of your people, so you're with us all the time, but there's something very unique about a gathering like this. So thankful, Lord, that we lift your name up through all that we do. Thanks for telling us the bad news, God, so that we have a greater love for the good news, the gospel, Jesus Christ. May many make their way into the altar room. I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Live for Christ.